Parshas Veira. When we study the story of the ten makkas, it's important to make clear beforehand what their function was. And therefore, one thing must be established at the beginning. The purpose of the makkas was not to set free the Am Yisrael. The fact is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had said beforehand that the makkas wouldn't help. More than once, Hashem said openly that He was going to harden the heart of Paro anyhow, and that it would only be at the exact time when Hashem wants. That's when Am Yisrael would go free. And that's precisely what happened. Finally, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu decided that the time was right, He made Paro get up in the middle of the night and chase the Am Yisrael from his land. Now, if the Makkas weren't needed to set us free, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have saved us in a much less complicated way. He could have sent a dream to Paro, like he sent to Lavan HaArami, when he was chasing after Yaakov, or like the dreams he sent to the king of the Pelishtim, and to the old Paro in the time of Avram Avinu. And Paro would have gotten up in the morning, and called together his ministers, and he would have told them, Look, people, after much solemn and prayer for deliberation, I've come to the decision to let the Bnei Yisrael go. And that would have been the end of things. It would have been a royal decree. In the Cairo Tribune, it would have been front-page headlines. Source in the royal palace reveals, Paro to set Hebrews free. And we would have walked out of Mitzrayim to freedom just the same. Without all the hullabaloo of the Makkas, Hashem could have made it happen that way. Why not? And so, if the Makkas weren't needed to achieve the freedom of the Am Yisrael, what was the true purpose? Now we don't have to look far to find the answer because HaKadosh Baruch Hu stated it clearly, as could be. He told Moshe Rabbeinu what the Makkas were for. V'yadu Mitzrayim ki ani Hashem. And Egypt shall know that I am Hashem. That's the purpose of the Makkas. And the truth is that very many, very many Egyptians learned the lesson. Some benefited a little and some benefited more. And some even gained sub, such great benefit that they decided to throw in their lot with the Bnei Yisrael. V'gam erev rav ala itam. A big number of, number of Egyptians left Mitzrayim with the Bnei Yisrael. Why do you think they left? Because v'yadu Mitzrayim, they had learned the lesson. But we understand right away that it wasn't for the benefit of Mitzrayim that these makkas were given. It wasn't the Mitzrim that concerned HaKadosh Baruch Hu most. Of all the Talmidim, for whom the lessons were intended, it was the Am Yisrael who were most important. The lessons are for us, who still read the story in shul every year. The Mitzrim read it? No. Do the Mitzrim make a Pesach Seder to remember the lessons? So when it states, V'yadu Mitzrayim ki ani Hashem, it means, V'yadu b'nei Yisrael ki ani Hashem. It means even the people of Mitzrayim. The Mitzrim will also learn. But the real purpose is that the b'nei Yisrael should learn that I am a Hashem. And so if the Mitzrim saw Hashem, then the intended recipients of the lessons, the Bnei Yisrael, saw him a thousand times more. You have no idea what accomplished, what was accomplished by each Makkah. Each one was another sheer in awareness of Hashem. I did all this so that you will know, truly know, that I am Hashem your God. Devarim. That's the great lesson, that there are no accidents in the world.
if you're going to leave Mitzrayim now to become my people, then the very first lesson you have to learn is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in charge of all of the affairs of the universe. And whatever happens comes directly from Him. The Makkas were intended as a lesson that the world has an owner and that the owner reacts to what people do. Now, as was explained here once, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't react by sending events stam, happenings that are entirely mysterious. Instead, he puts into each and every event a clue to give us a hint why it came. It's a fundamental principle that HaKadosh Baruch Hu give a, gives us clues when something happens. It's not merely a misfortune, it's a clue. And so, if you want to know why something is happening, study it. Look at the way it happened. And very many times, you can discover why it came. The Mishnah and Sota says it like this. In the way a man measures out, so too is it measured out to him. What does that mean? It's telling us that the punishment a man gets in this world in some way resembles the thing that he's done wrong. And that's the principle that's commonly known as Mida Keneged Mida. And that's why Chazal understood that every Makkah that came upon the Egyptians was planned Mida Keneged Mida. If you study the Midrashim, you'll discover many examples. In some cases, you can even use your own head and discover, and discover Mida Keneged Mida. What was the reason that just in this way the Makkah had to come? Why with this and this detail? It was to compensate for something that was done by the Egyptians. And this lesson was taught by means of the clues that were put into the Makkahs. However, all this needs a lot of thought. And if we don't bother spending time thinking, we don't get the full benefit. And the Mesilus Yishadim sets down the principle that most people don't learn the lessons that Hashem wants to teach them because they're just too busy to think. There's more than one reason, but the main reason why people don't learn is because they're too busy with life. There are so many things to do, so many happy things, so many other things, whatever it is, but they're all busy all the time. That's his explanation. Hatipul Vahatirda, people are just too busy to think. People don't pay attention and they don't learn the lessons that they are expected to learn because they don't make time to think. Why is Hashem doing davka this and davka that? And now we can understand the Madrish in our Parsha Rabba, in, in, in Rabba. It says, it says there that Al Kol Maka Umaka Haya Mishamesh Hadever. Every time one of the Makas came, there was a dever, a pestilence, that came along with it. Although one of the makas was dever by itself, a pestilence also went along with every maka. When the water turned into blood, there was a dever. When the frogs came, there was also a dever. With kinim, there was a dever. And so on, and so forth. Arav came with dever. Shechin came with a dever. Now, we have to understand the significance of that. The answer is that the Gemara in Baba, in Baba Kama states a principle of how to behave when chas v'shalom there's an epidemic. It says there, Dever ba'ir, kanes raglecha. When there's an epidemic in the city, stay at home. It's very important advice you're hearing now. Don't go out and mix with people. Even when there's an epidemic of the common cold or of the flu chas v'shalom. Don't go where there are crowds. 
First of all, why should you donate your germs to other people? Keep it to yourself. And secondly, when there are a lot of people together, a lot of people donating germs to one big pool, so it's easier, Khalila, to catch it. So when there's, when there's a dever ba'ir, you keep away from crowds. What do you do? Kanes raglecha. You remain home. And the Am Yisrael in those days had the good sense to make use of this time they had in their home because our forefathers had elders whom they looked to for guidance in everything. You remember when Moshe Rabbeinu came to tell the Bnei Yisrael the good tidings that they were now going to be redeemed. He didn't come to Goshen, to the Jewish street and shout. He didn't put up signs on the walls. He went straight to the elders, to the Ziknei Ha'am. And that's because the Am Yisrael in those days had good leaders and they listened to them. And so when the Zikanim said, Dever ba'ir kanes raglecha, stay at home during the Makas. That's what everybody did. Everyone went into their little home and they locked the door so that they shouldn't have any business with anybody else. Now, if you're staying home, what are you, what are you going to do? You have nothing to do. You can't work. You can't take walks. You can't go apple picking. You can't hike. You can only stay home and talk. So the father and mother and the children and the grandparents too, they were all crowded together in one little house. So what should they do all day? So the leaders of the Am Yisrael taught them what to do. The Zakanim taught the people what the purpose of the Makkas really was. And the Bnei Yisrael listened. They studied the Makkas because they understood that every Makkah that came upon the, the Egyptians was planned purposefully. Mida keneged Mida. And so they spent their days and nights sitting and talking. What's the news of the day? The current Makkah. That's what's in vogue this week. What was the reason that just in this way the Makkah had to come? If you'll study the Midrashim, you'll discover many examples of what the Am Yisrael discovered with their own minds. Those, tradi- those traditions in the Midrashim are from them. It wasn't the later sages who invented these lessons. It came from, from the Bnei Yisrael who sat there in their homes and observed what was taking place. And they understood that if Hashem was bringing punishment upon a people, it was to compensate them for what they did wrong and that the lessons were being taught by the clues that were put into the Makkas themselves. Let's say when Makkas Dam came, so they're sitting in their houses and talking. Did you hear what happened to Mamre, the Egyptian down the road? He went for a drink and his and his mouth is already bloodied up as if somebody punched him in the lips. He's vomiting from disgust. Aha, the bloody Egyptian now. You remember when he smacked me in the mouth and my mouth was bleeding? Now he's getting it right back in his face. Maybe in the wells there's some water they can drink. Nothing doing. Look at the wells next door. You see how red it is? Look at them. They're digging in the ground, trying to find an underground spring. And his brother, the wicked slave master, he's walking around dehydrated, begging for a sip of water. He looks like he's about to faint. Is that so? He's the one who forced us to work all day in the sun and didn't let us drink from the well. He's getting exactly what he deserves. Mida keneged mida. So they were talking all day long, but not like we're talking here. 
I'm just talking kindergarten talk now. But they went to the bottom of it. They had nothing, nothing else to do. They didn't read newspapers or novels in those days. They didn't waste time listening to the radio. And the Zakanim taught them how to use their time during the Makkas to think about what Hashem was trying to teach them and to talk about. It was a Masechta, Masechta Makkas. It was a whole Masechta, and each Maka was another Perek. And they learned it with Mefarshim. They tried to pay attention to the details of each Maka, and they talked it over. The Bnei Yisrael saw Hashem in every detail. And so they talked and talked and talked. They went into all the details. It was exciting. To us, it's old news. But to them, it was happening right now. And therefore, it was the rage of the moment. The Am Yisrael studied Mida connected Mida. They became wise. The Yadu Ki'ani Hashem. They knew Hashem more and more and more. The Amuna got into their bones. It's, it, it was into the marrow of the bones that there's a Shofet, a just judge over the world who has everything under his control. So the Makkah succeeded. Not that they succeeded in setting free the Bnei Israel, but they succeeded in teaching the Am Yisrael the great lesson that because Hashem loves his people, he is always watching over the Am Yisrael and guiding them to perfection. And one of the ways he teaches his people is by means of the principle of Mida Kenegin Mida. Now, whatever is in the Torah is a Torah, a teaching. It's not merely an episode that's happening. It's teaching us something for the future, and therefore we have to take this as a model. We shouldn't just relegate it to the past and say, then that's what happened, and that was the purpose in those days. We should take this as a model for other events that have happened in our own history. We're expected to live always with the principle that when troubles come upon people, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is teaching something. And it's up to us to react the way the Am Yisrael did in Mitzrayim and to think, my ka mashmalan, what is HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying with this event? There's a verse in Tehillim which states it openly. It's a pity we say it so frequently and never stop to think. Hayoyser goyim haloyochiach. The one who brings punishments and suffering on the nations. Isn't he showing something? Yochiach means to show something. Hamilamed Adam Dat. Isn't he teaching mankind knowledge? Now I have to bring up a very painful subject. Because although there are many things we can study, many things that happened to our people in the thousands of years since the Makkos, it's especially important to look at the events that happened in our time in recent history, and to try to understand their messages. Isn't Hashem showing something? Isn't he teaching mankind knowledge? And if an event of a tremendous suffering was brought not upon the nations, but upon our nation, if Hashem chose to decimate his chosen nation in what they call the Holocaust, so we understand that there were great lessons he was teaching. Some Orthodox people don't want to hear that at all. They say it's sacrilegious to talk about such things. It's a kitrug on the Kedoshim. It's accusing the Holy Ones, but the kitrug of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that they keep quiet about. HaKadosh Baruch Hu for nothing at all brought such a kilayun, a destruction. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't practice dina below dina. He doesn't do judgment without justice. Brachas. 
And therefore, it's the biggest chilul Hashem if people keep quiet about that. And instead, they only make a propaganda that Hashem destroyed Kedoshim and Tehorim. And that there's nothing we can do to understand it. When there's misfortune in the world, when there's terrible misfortune among Jews, we have to understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows exactly what he's doing. And therefore, we have to understand that these are the Shoim, the Germans, were the Shluchim of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hitler Yimach Shemo was a Shaliach from Hashem. Once a man said to me, you mean to say that Hitler was a Tzaddik? No, he was a Rasha, the biggest Rasha. But Vigam Rasha Liyom Ra, Hashem picks a Rasha for a day of evil. Mishlei. Certainly, he doesn't appoint Sadikim to kill people. He picks a Rasha for that. But they were his Shluchim. And there's no question that he did it with a purpose. Certainly, the Germans are to show him. And they're all in Gehenna now. Oh yes, they're being punished in Gehenna right now. If we could listen to their cries, our blood would run cold. We'd shiver from the cries of pain that they're suffering right now. But that doesn't absolve us in the least from knowing that the righteous Hashem doesn't do justice without justice. If Hashem brought a churban upon us, it was a very, it was for a very good reason. Of course, we should try if we are able to take Nikama on those murderers. Absolutely. Even to this day, I say, if, if we had the power, we'd have permission from the nations of the world. We should make an army and march into Germany and destroy at least, at least two million Nazis. At least. There's no question in my mind at all. Nikom nikmat b'nei Yisrael me'et hamidyanim. Certainly you have to take revenge for such wickedness. Two million? More than that. But we can't do it. So we keep quiet. Of course, we weep for what we lost. We weep for the Am Hashem, Shenaflu Becharev. The wicked Germans came to town after, after town spilling Jewish blood. I lived in a small town in Lithuania for a while. And I knew the people there well. I was close to them. And the Nazis came in and marched all the men out of the field, out to the field outside the town, and shot them all down. My brother-in-law, they shot him down. A tzel yeshiva boy. A tzel yeshiva bacher. A very nice boy. They shot him down for nothing. In cold blood, they killed him. Can you do anything but weep at that? And a few weeks later, they took all the women and the girls. My sister-in-law was among them. A beautiful, fine, from girl. And the Nazis shot them all dead in cold blood. Certainly we weep. We can't stop weeping. My chaverim, the best friends, my best friends, were all murdered. Rab Feivel Pilvishker, Pilvishker, Zichron Levrocha, a tzaddik, a young man who was learning all the time. He was always thinking in Musser in his spare time. And they found his body in the field outside the town. He was shot there and left to bleed to death. Other friends too, Aaron Birzer, my Chavrusa, he was the son-in-law of the Kurdana Rav. And he was murdered along with the Kurdana Jews. My Rabbi Rav Avraham was burnt up alive in a fire when the Germans set fire to the hospital. Rav Elchanan Wasserman, Zechron Levracha, was in Slobodka and they marched, they marched him out with all the Slobodka boys, my Chaverim, and they shot them dead in the ninth fort. Certainly we weep river, rivers of tears. When we say here that we try to understand that Hashem does things for a reason, 
It's B'derek Klal on a general level. But the fact that we lost our people is a devastating blow that we will never cease weeping for. And the Germans, all the nations of the world as well, will be held accountable. No question about it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will remember everything. Doirish damim otam zachar. The one who remembers the blood of the innocent. Lo anavim. He won't forget their outcry. He won't forget them forever. And we too will not forget them. But we have to know that sof kol sof, Hashem is just in all of his ways and that he's teaching us something. The one who brings punishment on people, is he not trying to teach us something? He won't do judgments without justice. All over Europe, you have to know, there was a breakdown. Of course, they were from Jews too. But all over, the Am Yisrael was defecting from the Torah in great numbers. Today, they tell us, Narshkite, that the towns were Hasidish strongholds, nothing but Hasidim. No, there was a reform kihila established there with a reform rabbi, and they didn't believe in anything. Already in the Chavetz Chaim's time, he said that ain't bayit asher ain't shamait. There's no home that doesn't have someone who, ha- who has left the Am Yisrael. Every house is ruined, said the Chavetz Chaim. I remember when a Rav came to visit the Slobodka Yeshiva. He looked like an old-time Rav. Looking at him, you would have thought that even his mother had payas. Button. Button learned that in his family, he's the only one of five boys who are shaman mitzvahs. This beautiful-looking Rav was only one of five who hadn't rebelled against HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in general, those who rebelled weren't quiet. They were poisonous. They were enemies of the Torah. And they poured vitriol upon all the from Jews and ridiculed them day in and day out. They used to make parades in the towns. The youth marched in parades with big signs. We declare war on the Klerkalim. That means on the Rabbanim and the from Jews. So Rav Chalon so Wasserman said, you're declaring war on Hashem, so Hashem will declare war on you. That's what Rav Chalon said. Here is a Talmud Chacham who wrote an article about Slobodka, who was describing Slobodka, a history. I read the article. He's telling about the old Slobodka Rav, Rav Moshe Donashevsky, way back, a Talmud Chacham, a Gadol Batoida. And then there was the, the Slobodka Roshet Shiva, And then another Gadol took over. And then came Hitler. Such a Sheker. What do you mean and then came Hitler? What happened in between? I knew Slobodka. I lived there. What are you telling me stories? This Gadol and that Gadol and then came Hitler? What happened to the people in between? What about the Hebrew teachers? What about the schools that taught atheism? The gymnasia and the Tarba schools? What about all the Apikorsim who lived in Slobodka? I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. Slobodka was a churban. There was a yeshiva, it's true. But the city itself was no good at all. Europe was being turned upside down by the Jewish Rishayim. Do you hear people speak about that when they teach about the Holocaust? No, you don't hear that. The whole subject is not even mentioned. People are busy carrying out a propaganda campaign against the Kaddish Baruch Hu. You know what they say? They say that they were all tzaddikim in Europe. Ah, it was a wonderful place. They were all righteous, all Kaddishim. And we just don't know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu would do such a terrible thing to them. 
What do they mention? The wicked Germans, the wicked Gentiles, the wicked Ukrainians, the wicked Poles. It's all the fault of the wicked nations. It's like when a dog is hit with a stick. So the dog gets angry and bites the stick. The dog doesn't think about the person who is wielding the stick. Did you ever throw a stone at a dog? The dog bites the stone. And so the Jewish masses blamed the stick. They blamed the Germans and they blamed anti-Semitism and the church, but they didn't, but, but did they say the truth that the destruction that happened in Europe was because the Am Yisrael did not listen to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? No, no, no. That's not what they said. The Mizrahi came up with a theory that they preach in the whole world today. Do you know whose fault that all those Jews were destroyed in Europe? It's not the fault of the atheist and the communist who abandoned the Kadosh Baruch Hu. It's the fault of the rabbis. Because they didn't preach that the Jews should forsake Europe. All the Rabbanim are guilty. I heard it myself. They said that the Gedolim, all the Tzadikim, the Chavetz Chaim, Zichron all the leaders of the generations are at fault because they didn't preach that the Jews should get up and move to Eretz Yisrael. That six million Jews should get up from Europe and go to Eretz Yisrael in those days when nobody would let them in anyhow. It was all a dream anyhow. And because the rabbis didn't preach that, so the blood of the six million Jews is on the rabbis' heads. Because the Frumma didn't listen to, Jab- to Jaban Tinsky when he said that you should evacuate Europe. That's why our people were destroyed. That's what they say. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed six million Jews to be destroyed because they didn't listen to an Oichel Trefis, a Mechal al Shabbos, a Rasha Gomer, a man who didn't keep anything. Hashem punished us because we didn't listen to a radical atheist. The lesson should have been why didn't you listen to the rabbis who said, go back to the Torah? The Rabbanim tried. Rabbi Elchanan Wasim in Zichron Levrocha cried out about it. The Chafetz Chaim too. But did anybody know what they said? Did they hear their opinion? No. They didn't have any influence at all on the Jewish masses. Rabbi Elchanan was shouted down. He was ridiculed. He's no leader. He doesn't know anything. A Rosh Hashiva, an old man, what does he know about politics? He's only a Rosh Hashiva. That's what they said. A man who's a Gadol Batoida, what does he know about leadership? The Gadolim were pushed away in a corner. The Rosh Yeshiva were like they didn't exist. If you were in yeshiva, so you know he was your Rebbe, you listened. But when you left the yeshiva, even though you were a good Talmud, once you left, you had no contact. What did you have? You had the daily newspapers filled with articles written by poisonous apikorsim. That was your new Rebbe. And so from day to day, you became worse and worse. People don't realize what the situation was in Europe. At that time, you didn't have even a hundred young people under the age of 30 who put on tefillin. Older people still maintained the old ideas, but young people did not. You had a trefus bachorim of about 50 men. You had a tiferes bachorim of about 50 men. That's all. It was a few balabatim who wanted to stay from. The rest were throwing it all away. In a city like Pinsk, 
There were 40,000 Jews in Pinsk in 1928. There were 40,000 Jews. And you didn't have even 10 boys who went to yeshivas outside of Pinsk. There were no yeshivas in Pinsk. Slabatka, Lomza, Tels, Radin, Mir didn't have 10 bocharim from a town of 40,000 boys. I have a letter written from a Pinsk Jew to the Jewish newspaper where he, where he describes that. The world turned upside down. And that's why our nation ignored the intended lessons. Instead of learning the lesson that Hashem intended them to learn, they learned just the opposite. And therefore, one of the great lessons for which the Holocaust was intended went lost. At best, it's treated with silence. Instead of sitting and studying the terrible Makkah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Gentiles are blamed. It, if, only the, if only the Am Yisrael would have huddled together in their homes with their parents and grandparents and discussed the news with a clear mind, a great many lessons could have been learned. Why is this happening? They should have thought. All of a sudden, Germany, a civilized country, is committing such bar- barbarous acts against them? What's it for? They should have thought about and discussed it with the Zikne Hador. The same way the Bnei Yisrael and Mitzrayim spend time thinking about what Hashem was doing, the German Jews could have done the same. Why did Hitler come from Germany? Because from Germany came forth the reform. The ideal of assimilation came from Germany. And from Germany, defection from the Torah and rebellion against the Kadosh Baruch Hu spread all over Europe. So the Nazis began in Germany because that's where the wickedness of the Jews began. The wickedness that ruined the Jewish people. And then Hitler marched into Poland. Why did he march into other countries? Because in those places the Am Yisrael had forsaken the Torah. Even those who kept Shabbos, they already were poisoned. And they despised the Torah. Who were their leaders? They looked up to the atheists who got all the votes in Poland. When the Jews voted for leaders, all the votes were given to either the Bundists, that's their radical socialists, or they were given to the radical Zionists. The Zionists in Europe were radical atheists, and they were the ones who had the newspapers and the big organizations. And even the Jewish masses, those who still kept kashrus and Shabbos, but inwardly, they were rotten through and through. There still remained a small island, the Torah world, wonderful yeshivas. But they were a tiny minority because they had already been abandoned by the people. The heart of the people was already in the hands of the misleaders. And these misleaders didn't say, look at what, look at what Hitler is doing. It's time to do teshuva. The Chavetz Chaim Zichron Levrocha said that. Rav Elchanan Wasserman said it. Do teshuva. But who listened to them? If they had listened, they would have studied the lesson of Mida Keneged Mida. When the Germans announced the law against overcrowding German schools, that's the name of the law on April 25th, 1933. In Germany before this, everybody had to go to schools on Shabbos. They weren't off on Shabbos, which meant that they were Mechalal Shabbos. And they also, and also they mingled with Gentile boys and boys and girls. And that was one of the big sources of intermarriage. So here was a law that you could study with great profit. 
Why did the Ger- why did the Germans exclude Jewish children from public schools, from colleges and high schools? Isn't it because German Jews were so eager to mingle with Germ- mingle and German Jews had so little regard for Shabbos, and so Hashem was putting a stop to it with a heavy hand? Hakadosh Baruch Hu said, "No more." On September fifteenth, nineteen thirty-five, they decreed a law for the protection of German blood and honor. That means intermarriage between Jews and Christians came to an end. For a Jew and a Christian to live together was a crime. That's something to think about. It was a message, Mina Shamaim. Hitler had to come and teach them that it's usher to intermarry, and that if you do, there's going to be a very big punishment. On January 5th, 1937, they decreed compulsory, compulsory Jewish names. Ooh, wow, that's some decree. So Hans Cohen was now called Israel Hans Cohen. And Gretel Cohen was now called Sarah Gretel Cohen. Whether she liked it or not, and she didn't. They hated Jewish names. Sarah? Gretel was fainting from embarrassment. All of a sudden, Jews began carrying such genuine, full-blooded names. Israel Hans Cohen. Hans, who had tried his best to run away from Israel all his life, and now they slapped the sticker on him. Israel, wasn't that a lesson from heaven? On December 3rd, 1938, Jews were barred from the streets on Nazi holidays. Now the Jews would have gone out in the streets and participated. They would have danced together with the Germans and they would have raised their hands and participated in everything. But now they were being told that they were Jews and they shouldn't lose their identity because of patriotism. That was a great lesson. December 28th, 1939, the order was given that Jews should live only in all Jewish houses. You have to study that. You can't mix all Jewish houses. Two days later, on December 30th, 1939, there was, a dis- there was a decree barring Jews from dining cars to remind them all of Kashrus. These weren't anti-Semitic accidents. They were all lessons that should have been studied, and it's a pity they didn't utilize it. It could have saved their lives. At least spiritually, they would have been saved. Now, for a thinking person, these little hints might have been enough. A wise man. It's enough one hint. You don't have to tell them again and again. But when somebody is obtuse, he doesn't take a hint. You have to tell him, you have to tell it to him over and over. And each time you tell it to him, you have to make it more and more open. And finally, if he doesn't take the hint, so you give it to him. People can save themselves from Yisurim if they'll understand the first hint. But the German-educated Jews were so dumb, their heads for so many years had been stuffed up with Gentile ideas, so they couldn't listen. They didn't learn. Some of them learned that they have to leave Germany, but that's all they learned. So they came to America and they assimilated even more. They intermarried or some, or some converted to Christianity. They didn't learn a thing. And so the lessons became worse. We have to study. Why is it that the Jews were now enslaved more than in any previous time? Never before had there been such a gezeira of such killing slave labor. And you can be sure that there were some Jews, not enough, but there were some who looked back now and recalled that the Shabbos had been destroyed in many places in Europe. When I came to Slobodka in 1932, 
Every half hour, a busload of Jews left for Kovno to go to work on Shabbos. But by 1938, every five minutes, a bus left full of Jews on Shabbos. Working on Shabbos, it was unheard of not long ago. But now every five minutes, a busload of Jews were going to work. And because so many Jews now had chosen voluntarily to work on the Shabbos, so therefore, they were now put to the kill, to killing labor seven days a week, seven days a week without any rest at all. And it wasn't Chilul Shabbos just for Parnassah because they needed food to eat. I went with a friend of mine, Rabbi Yehuda Davis, that's all. And together we walked one Shabbos afternoon to the port in Kovno on the river. It was the summertime and the Jews in Kovno were gathered there at the port. And every 15 minutes a steamboat full of Jews left to go up the river to a vacation place. Jews, men and women together smoking, carrying packages, dressed of course in undress, all bareheaded, all being Mechal al-Shabbos. We didn't believe our eyes. Kovno? That's a Jewish kovno? Aleibadigatug? There's no, there's no God anymore. There used to be a God in kovno, but now we forgot all about him. Well, he reminded them. He reminded them. And once more they all met again in the same place. Again they assembled. Only this time it was for different purposes. This time, they weren't going upstream to a vacation place. Instead, they were being put in cattle cars. Some were being led to the ninth fort where they were shot down en masse. Why did it happen that the Germans, who were so avid in destroying children, the Nazis conducted their most cruel campaign against children, in every community, the first ones to be taken away were the children. A million Jewish children were destroyed. That was a primary, primary objective for the Germans, to capture all the children and to take them to their deaths before the parents were exterminated. But if we look back, we'll discover that the parents had already massacred their children long before. You know which school system was the biggest, the most popular of all in Eastern Europe between World War I and World War II? It was the Tarba schools. The Tarba, the Tarba school was spreading like, like wildfire and had ousted the old-time cheder almost completely. Even where the old cheder remained, the Malamed had only a handful of children. The Tarba school had all the children in the towns and the villages. And these Tarba schools were run by atheists who weren't ashamed to teach openly the doctrine of godliness. They were kofrim bekola And great masses of Jewish children were now handed over to them to be destroyed. Rabbi Khanan Wasman Zichron Levracha said, Rov Yalde Yisrael mitchonchim kinarchim. Kinachrim. Most Jewish children are being brought up like Gentiles. He meant like atheists, worse than Gentiles, worse than Gentiles. Because the Talbot schools were, was consequent. They didn't do things halfway. And the parents gladly handed over their children to them, to, to Apikorsim. And therefore the truth is that very many children had been destroyed even before Hitler came. And that's why Hitler came. Because the vast majority of Jewish children were taken out of the Torah schools and given over willingly to the hands of the atheists to be taught atheism. That's why Jewish children in Europe disappeared entirely. The Jewish community was on a roller coaster that was speeding downhill. 
the Torah was being abandoned all over Europe and Hashem was reacting. Because Jews profaned the Shabbos. That's why they were forced to work seven days a week at killing labor. Because Jewish women began to dress a moral dress in Europe. Things that you never saw before. That's why the Jewish women were subjected to indignity before they were tortured to death. That's Mida, Keneged Mida. A man gets up here and asks me with indignation. He says he asked everybody why such a thing happened in Europe and nobody could tell him. Why did it happen? It happened because it was foretold. It happened according to plan. If you will go along and say it's an accident, you'll see the world as if it's all due to natural causes. So I will treat you the same way. The Toichicha is a parsha in the Torah. It's open pesukim. The mass defection from Judaism was unprecedented in the history of the world. And therefore, the terrible punishment that came was also unprecedented in the history of the world. Now it's important to note of the fact that what we're speaking about here is a principle for how Hashem guides not only entire nations, but individuals as well. If a man sees that troubles come upon him, a man sees that he has trouble with his leg, so he has to think, why did it happen with the leg? If you have trouble with the arm, you must think, why with the arm? If the doctor tells you that he sees something in your back and he's sending you to a spine specialist, so you'd better start thinking, why the spine? What happened? So if while you're eating supper, you give a good bite on your tongue, instead of just cussing, give a thought. What's your tongue to blame? Could it be that something is wrong with your tongue? You're not such a, you're not such a sadic after all. Maybe you should have bitten your tongue earlier in the day before you opened your big mouth to your wife. Could be. If you study Mida Keneged Mida, something is bound to turn up. It's one of the systems by which Hashem lets us know what he wants us to discover. And therefore, it's one of the principles by which a Jew should live his life. And you can't try to solve the problem by one second of thinking or even one minute. You know, if a person goes to college and he pays money for a course and now the instructor gives a lecture, does he spend only one minute trying to understand it? No, he goes home and he reads his notes because he wants to get his his money's worth. He tries to understand what it is that the professor meant. And Lahavil, if somebody is in the yeshiva and he hears a lesson, a shir by an Adam Gadol, a great man, does he think by one minute of thinking he can solve what the shir is driving at? And therefore, therefore, kol shekain v'kol shekain. When Hashem is the one giving the lesson, you have to study it. That's why it says, if a man sees trouble coming on him, yifashvesh mamasav. Yifashvesh means he has to search. Not superficial lazy thought. He has to search. Why did it happen? And if he searches, he's going to have some success. And therefore it's necessary to stop. To take off five minutes to think. Isn't that an important thing? A lot of people, even from Jews, when the slichos begin in the month of Elul, so they say every day, Let us search out our ways. But how many of them have stopped and have given five minutes to think over the events of the past year? And five minutes inventory. 
Five minutes of bookkeeping, of bookkeeping is very little for a whole year of business. And yet, it would be a great thing if somebody could boast, I was mekayim nachpiso derachenu v'nachkoira. I spent five minutes thinking about what lesson Hashem had sent me during the past year. It's a very poor little boast, but halavai halavai. even five minutes are not forthcoming. The truth is that it's essential to have a lot of time. Five minutes is not enough to think about what happened and why it happened. You need a lot of time to think about, to think about it, to think it out. Oh, it's so silly. Somebody will say, a chacham will say, am I going to waste my life thinking about the things that happen, inputting them to sins, which I don't know about, saying that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending them upon me for this or that imaginary reason? Maybe it's not because of that. It could be it's not because of anything wrong for all I know. The answer is that it pays to be silly. If you'll discover a pot of gold, it pays to be silly. Discovering your wrongs and doing teshuva is worth more than gold. And there's no question you'll discover it. If you'll look very hard, you're going to discover it. Now, suppose a person searched and he didn't find it. It's improbable. What it means is that he wasn't searching. But let's say he searched and he didn't find. So the Gemara says, Yitle bebitul toida. Let him attribute it to neglect of Torah study. Insufficient Torah study. Torah study, you can always attribute it to that. And some say, if, uh, 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 and some say, a perish. If a man searches and he can't find any sins, yitle, he has to say, what's the reason I can't find any sins? Because of bitul Torah. It's because I didn't study enough Torah. So I'll think I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good fellow. If I would study more, I would know what's expected of me. And I would discover a lot. And the truth is that if a person is going to search in himself and find anything, so whatever he finds is a success. Your duty as a Jew is to attribute your troubles to your own faults, and the result will be that you'll become improved. That's what counts. Let's say he made a mistake, and, he re- and really, that's not exactly why he's being punished. So what of it? Let's say I sent you into the next room to look for a $10 bill. And so you're looking around in that room and instead of a $10 bill, you find a big box of golden coins. So will you be disappointed? Will you be displeased that I sent you searching? If you'll make use of the opportunity, even if you won't guess the real reason, you still struck gold. Let's say you'll blame yourself for something else that wasn't the real reason. But at least in that one thing you'll improve. And that's already a great Hatzlacha. Rabbeinu Yonah says in Sharei Tshuva, Kasher Yikabel Ha'adam Musur Hashem. If a man accepts the instruction of Hashem, V'yetiv Derochav Uma'alalav, and he'll improve his ways or his deeds, Ra'uy lo l'smoach alehem. He should rejoice on his misfortunes. Ka'al Hatzlachas Hagadoylas as he would rejoice upon the great successes of life, because there's no better fortune in life than to discover something wrong and to have the opportunity to fix things up while you're still here in this world. Have a wonderful Shabbos.